Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That's our central text that we're going to kind of surround uh, this morning, but I actually want to start uh, where we are um, kind of be, going to be starting from for the next couple of weeks in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 2:42. We talked last week about the Holy Spirit descends upon this community. It's like all of a sudden this community began to wake up to all sorts of new things about who God was and being empowered this new understanding, Paul calls a new humanity. It was like this God calling out uh, in a deeper understanding of who he is. And there's the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of all things. And all this epic language happening. And this spirit falls as part of this thing that Jesus said would happen. Said, I will send you someone who's greater than, uh, like it's better that they come than I stay with you. That will empower you that can like reside in you and teach you the things that I've taught you. And so this happens, and we talked last week about this word devoted. So we're gonna keep coming back to that. Why did these first followers of Jesus, in light of having this new revelation of who God is, new revelation in their spiritual journey and their understanding of, of Jesus and God and the Spirit, why did they just start to devote themselves to things? So the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm just going to stop right there. Spirit of God comes and they begin to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, these people who had been with Jesus, they wanted to know what Jesus is like. They wanted to know that if it's true and this Jesus reveals, like it says in the book of Colossians, the fullness of God, like all that God is, all that, if you're someone here, maybe you don't consider yourself religious, you're not even sure what you think about Jesus or Christianity, but for you, it's like whatever your spirituality, this is a bold claim that all that, we, all that God is like, all that the, the logic and, and brilliance and beauty and love that's at the center of the universe, all of it is found and made known in person of Jesus and so they want to devote themselves to learning more so that they can know more of who God is knowing God is a bit complex right right for me at least it's cool if it's not for you and it's a little bit more complex than knowing a person just like knowing my neighbor is more complex than knowing like a house or a book or a language. So a few thoughts. You don't really know a living thing until you know its past history. And more importantly, how they will react and behave under certain circumstances. For example, someone says like, I know this dog. Oh, I know this dog. Right? Normally means more than just I've seen it before, but actually like, oh, I know. I can tell how it behaves. I can tell how it should be handled or played with, right? I, I, I know this dog. I know this dog. I, I had a um, neighbor who they wanted to, they, they had this philanthropic moment in their pet care and wanted to adopt uh, an abused 
dog. Anyone ever adopted an abused animal before? Yeah, it's, it's similar in some ways to just adopting someone else who's been through trauma. And an abused dog, especially a large abused dog, is pretty brutal, pretty violent oftentimes, pretty reckless, well, sometimes reckless. I remember this dog, Bo, this, this fairly large black dog. And uh, I was pretty young. I think I was like nine, ten years old. And uh, I just remember popping my head over across the fence just to see this thing because it would bark so much. And it looked pretty brutal. And so I was pretty scared of it. And so I, I remember going once over to my, my buddy's house. And it was on a leash. And I had to go through the backyard. I don't remember why. But to go to the backyard and knock on my friend's door, and there was like one moment where I had to, to sprint from the shed to the door so the thing wouldn't run after me. And it literally like charged me and forgot it was on a leash. And whenever a dog that kind of forgets they're on a leash, so it ran, ran, it ran, it's barking. I, in my memory, it's like Cujo. You know, it's like, like, like bloody random Stephen King reference. I, just like gnarly, dark, evil, massive in my like childhood memory, this repressed memory. I'm like, I'm scared out of my mind. And then as I made it to the porch, the thing just seized up and like pulled itself back. And, and it like moved like the anchor that the leash was in, you know, it kind of moved a little bit. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to like, it's like raptors testing the fence. You know what I mean? Like you're going to keep going until you find the weak point and then you're going to be free. So I just remember, like, weeks later, going on a bike ride in our neighborhood. We lived in a pretty safe neighborhood. And so I was, like, biking around. And all of a sudden, I hear this, like, loud dog. And I look back, and I go, I know that dog. I know how much that dog has scared me. I know how much that dog, like, like keeps us up in the middle of the night. And I know that dog has been deeply abused. Um, anyway, needless to say, I biked all the way home. And it was one of only three times in my life that I peed my pants. Knowing comes only through some prior acquaintance with the dog, right? Or seeing someone else play with it. When it comes to people, it gets a bit stickier. Because unlike dogs, people don't reveal everything. They keep things in. Though so on my uh, late night plane ride on the way home, I'm sitting next to two people who are talking. And they're like, they've been sitting down for maybe, maybe five minutes. Plane hasn't taken off. And this one woman is sharing her regrets about not having children and She's 60 years old now, and the other woman's trying to comfort her, and they're talking about just this epically deep stuff, and I just turn, and they, they, one of them had a very thick accent and was a very different skin tone than the other one. I had this sense, like, wait, do you really know each other? There's a couple signposts, not just that, and I kind of lean over, and I'm like, did you guys just meet? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, it was one of these rare moments, but that doesn't happen, right? What, what caught me off guard was these two total strangers from clearly very different cultural backgrounds are sitting there like, like having a full-on meeting. Like, tell me about your deepest, darkest fear. <laughs> Enjoy the flight. This normally doesn't, doesn't happen. Sometimes you can spend years near a person and not really get to know them few observations, the quality and extent of our knowledge of other people depends more on them than us. The only reason why that discussion started was one of those people 
opened up and was incredibly vulnerable. And I could tell it caused the quieter, more reserved person to then open up. The quality and extent of our knowledge of other people depends more on them than us. And our knowing them is more directly the result of their allowing us to know them than of our attempt of getting to know them. Like we can try to open up and be attentive, but it really ends up being on the other person how far that thing goes. Like so if you imagine that you are about to be introduced to someone that you feel is above you. Think of someone right now like that is like a like a president, a queen, a, a Tom Brady, I don't know, a Justin Timberlake, Donald Glover. Get no whoops for any of these. So I don't know, maybe you guys don't care about it. Like, like somebody, somebody who's just up above you and beyond you, maybe they're in rank or they're in intellect or someone like in your job, like the president of the company walks in. Great skill or great influence. The more conscious more aware that you are, that they are someone who is above you in some way, or you feel like they're above you, the more likely you will feel that all that you can do is let them take the lead. Correct? Does this make sense? Your person who's above you, like, I, you know, walks in the door. You know, Barack Obama walks in. Tom Brady walks in, and you just go, Hi. And if they all of a sudden, like, started to open up to you, right, you really want to get to know this person because this is your person you have in your mind. Like, I would really love to get to know them. Wouldn't it be cool? Although I've heard it's never good to, like, meet your idol. Or they like, kind of always let you down. Like, they're just, like, you know, awful breath, end up being a jerk. I remember, um, oh, man, I shouldn't do this. Maybe he'll come to our church one day. You know, I'm going to do this. Strike the tape. Cut here. You know, uh, Maddie Shuchuk is someone in our community. Uh, she was walking down Westminster and ran into Aziz Ansari. Anyone know who Aziz Ansari is? Anyone? Comedian, master of none, Parks and Rec. And uh, she loves Aziz Ansari. She was going to the show that night. And he's coming out of Small Point Cafe downtown. And I can't remember exactly how it went. You can follow her on our Twitter feed. You just type her name in Aziz Ansari and it'll come up because like a bunch of people retweeted it. Like she was like, hey, what's up? It's so like, you're, she said, you're Aziz Ansari, right? Like I'm so excited. Like, you know, you see somebody in the wild and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's you. You know, you got a ball cap on or something like that. And Aziz Ansari, basically, the long story short is he was just a total like jerk. Like straight up meanie. That's right, meanie. Things I say when I'm at the pulpit. Mean face, eyeball brain. Like he was just a total jerk. And she was horrified, right? Because she would have loved to have him be like, oh man, I'm so, yeah, yeah, I'm a season. Sorry. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Hey, why don't you come like hang out like the backstage with us? Like get a cup of coffee. Hey, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to like tell me what makes you you in a non creepy, you know. Creepy way. Right, she would love that. It's clear, right, that she had no claim on that. And the most likely you aren't going to assume anything. Now imagine that they do. They start opening up to you and there's this confidence and they bring you into a plan or a scheme or they're like, hey, you, could you help me, Maddie, work on my, like, my, my show tonight? I have this joke that I'm having a hard time with. 
right? You develop a relationship and they're bringing you into their life and then you're able to share what you care about. They encourage you to be who you are, right? This is a good analogy as any to describe the thrill of knowing God. If I have any goal in this short talk today, it is to like just provoke again, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, like more. Like my, 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 my goal today is just to encourage you for more hunger and passion and desire. These first disciples, upon being struck with a new understanding and an eye-opening experience of who God is, they devoted themselves. That's not a weak word. That's not a, they became mildly interested in the way of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were like, give me more of that. I am going to rearrange the margin in my life for that. Say devoted with me. Say devoted with me. Devoted. I just want you to be in it with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is analogy of the celebrity. This is the thrill of what it is to know God. God says in Jeremiah, let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If you get stoked about anything, get stoked about this. What happens when the creator of everything comes to you and begins to talk to you through the words and truths of the scripture? I imagine what it was for these Jews who had an understanding of, of like the kingdom and of, of, and of beauty and justice and love and, 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 and what it meant to be human. And then everything kind of gets upended and they realize that there's a deeper revelation of God and that somehow God's spirit is even speaking in and through them. And they're just sitting at the apostles' feet. These people who had been with Jesus... And they're like, give me more. Have you ever been with somebody who has like spiritual authority? Like they have like a gravitas to them? Have you ever been around somebody where it's like their soul is bigger than their body? You know what I'm talking about? Like they walk into a room and they may be like small in stature, but they're like, that person has some things to say. Or maybe it's not anything to say. Maybe they're not eloquent. But you, you just, you've been around their life and you can just tell they bring with them an awareness. They're able to like see God in a way, experience God in a way maybe that's beyond where you are at the moment or something. I imagine these first followers of Jesus being like, give me more. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When the creator of the world begins to speak in a still small voice. What happens when you align yourself with how things are? What happens when through community and the word of God, you experience more and more of the, the reality of God? What happens is what, the God's, is what God says is the life of the ages. It's like eternal life or life to the full. So this is where we, we come to our verse, John 17, three. Now this is eternal life. Which is a way, for, especially for the writer John, is saying, this is the life of the ages. Olam haba in the Hebrew is like eternal life. It's like this is the life of God, the kingdom. It's like all of these, these pictures and metaphors get kind of thrown in on eternal life with John. This is where the action is. This is the stuff. 
that they know the one and true God in Jesus Christ whom you have said, sent. We're told that God not only is God actually opening his heart to us and making friends with us, that he's also then enlisting us as colleagues almost. In the same way, if you were there, right, and you're with your person and they invite you in to like, hey, be a part of the journey with us. Be a part of a story with us. Be, 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 a, be a part of, of this thing that I'm doing. This is what God does in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I've called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. That's, that's kind of awesome. Look, look, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, maybe that feels familiar to you, but just stop for a minute. And to like, again, remind yourself that if this is true, I'm betting that I could stop the sermon now and it would have some implications for how you live the rest of just today. Forget about the future, capital F, like just today. I don't call you a servant. A servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you and I'm making known to you. This is what Jesus says the spirit does. The Holy Spirit, one of the key things that Jesus says is it reminds you, it teaches you of the things that Jesus has said. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. No big deal. Hey, what's your job? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a co-worker with, with uh, the God of the universe. I also happen to do some plumbing, but the God of the universe. Like before you're like, oh, I'm a Brown University student. Before like, I'm an engineer. Oh, you before I'm like, yeah, I'm a doctor. I kind of do that. On, like that's like kind of a part of like this whole larger tat thing. It kind of fits under this larger um, umbrella. So what does the act of knowing God involve? Because we're talking about what it means to know God, to know God. J.I. Packer would say this. He says this, one, listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it in application to yourself. Two, how do we know God? Noting God's nature and character and his word and works as they are revealed. So listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it. Two, noting God's nature and character in his word and in the world around us. Three, a way that we know God is we accept his invitations and do what he says. Right? This makes sense in real life. If I want to get to know this celebrity more, right, or this person that I adore, and we're getting to know each other, and they're extending an invitation, hey, why don't you come over to my house? Hey, why don't we come and do this together? And you would extend that invitation back, right? Like you begin to see how this actually increases your knowing. It doesn't distance it. Especially when Jesus says, you really love me, you'll do what I say. If you really love me, we'll be in this together. Recognizing and rejoicing in the love that he has shown. This will be number four. Recognizing and rejoicing, if you're taking notes, in the love that he has shown. In approaching you and drawing you into himself. The Bible puts flesh and blood on these ideas. The Bible uses four pictures of our relationship with God. You still with me? Four pictures, write them down. One, a son knowing his father in Hebrews 12 and Matthew 7. Picture one, a son knowing his father. Two, is a wife knowing her husband. 
It's kind of, it's like, it's kind of like this. Like a relationship with God, it's kind of like a son knowing his father. It's kind of like a wife knowing her husband. It's kind of like a subject knowing his king, Luke 12 and Matthew 25. A subject knowing their king. And lastly, a sheep knowing its shepherd, Luke 15 and John 10. It's kind of like a sheep knowing its shepherd. All four analogies have us looking up to the one who is known. And that person in the analogy takes responsibility for the welfare of the knower. Those who know him are loved and cared for by God. We'll come back to this in a minute. This makes sense? They're all taking responsibility for the welfare of the knower. And the Bible then brings this home and says, all these ideas of knowing God are made clear in Jesus. We know God by knowing Jesus. Anyone who has seen me, it says in John 14, has seen the Father. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all that God is, is found in him. So to know Jesus then is to know God. And oftentimes people are struggling with the divine, with God. I always tell them, just begin to read what Jesus is like and begin to try it. Put it into practice. I tell people who are struggling with their faith, maybe they're walking with Jesus a long time. Some of you may feel apathetic and burned out and a bit like just, eh. You've been going through some sort of church motion, right? This space is only as like powerful as you make it. This has nothing to do with us. And it truly has very little to do with my sermon, how well you like the songs, how solid the lightsaber analogy went this morning. You know, truly, that's why consumeristic Christianity like literally just, just doesn't work. Like, how is your walk? How goes your walk? How did you do? How did you do today? How was your week of church? This is meant to spur us on. I say all that and that, like, knowing Jesus, like, like just, knowing Jesus Christ remains as definitive a relation of, like, personal discipleship as it was for the 12 disciples the Jesus who walks through these stories. Jesus who walks through these stories, walks with us now, and knowing Jesus involves going with him. So when we read Jesus saying to his disciples in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, I will give you rest. We can be assured that Jesus didn't just say that to them, but he says it to us now. Come to me. So why people who are like in moments of great crisis or who are just, just being beaten down by life, oftentimes our reaction is to run. And Jesus says, come to me. Don't spin your wheels. Don't click off. Don't run away. You have to move. Come to me who are weary because I will give you rest. It's really hard for me to give you rest if you are running. So let's underline a few points as we close. First, knowing God's a matter of engagement. Dealing, like dealing personally. You can have all the right ideas in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities of what they are about. Right? 
Oftentimes when people are like, man, I, I wish there was more meat in the sermon. I'm usually like, how you doing practicing the way of Jesus? I wish there was more meat. I, I just want, I want to learn more facts about God. I'm telling you, if the relationship between knowledge and holiness, if there was like a positive like relationship there, I would just be doing like long biblical lectures every week on doctrine. We wouldn't have things like home groups. We wouldn't be engaged in mission, any of that. But that's not. We have more access to more podcasts and books and ideas about God than ever before. And I think you look around specifically at American Christianity, Western Christianity, and you go, mm, it's not helping. And ironically, where the church is exploding, where there's a lot less resources and a lot more in-depth like discussions around various minor theological issues, the church exploding in a place like China. Oh, because we're, we're, we're living with Jesus and practicing the way of Jesus. That's not uh, some sort of tirade against knowing more and learning more. But man, you can have all the right ideas in your head without ever tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Anyone amen to that? Like it's been your story? Like, is that like true for you? you know, for me, I just mean like I know for some of you, I'm like, look at some of you, I'm like, I know that's your story. I stand at a distance instead of coming in. And you know what that is for you. Second, knowing God is a matter of personal involvement. Think of the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have to engage God in deeply personal and all-encompassing ways to follow and obey and adhere. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. It's kind of like this. When, when I grew up, I, I didn't have a large house. It was a pretty small house. Um, and so the concept of a room, and I had four, four kids in our house, the concept of a room that's not utilized uh, was like not a thing, right? There was no, I have no concept of like every room in our house, which any of you who live in Providence, unless you're like in a Blackstone like mansion, you, you don't, you probably have to understand this. It's not like a room in your house that you're just like, well, it, the formal living room, Right? Anyone have a formal living room going up? You know what I'm talking about? I would go over friends' houses and I would see a formal living room and I would get mm, confused. This is a completely foreign concept. A formal living room is a space in your home that is not actually for living. So it's sort of ironic. Right? It's like, it's a, it's a place for looking. It's a formal looking room. I remember with deep consternation that I had when I saw that people had actually dedicated in their, a place in their home to no one. Now, I'd recognize now having children that any of us, like, I don't know, like, I, I realize, I feel like it's like the way parents, like, have some sense of control. Right? Like, that's the room that the kids aren't allowed to go into. So just to be, like, sympathetic. Like, I, I get it. Like, it's like, oh, if that just stays like that, I have the illusion that my life is under control because no one's in the form of living room. That's at least my apologetic for why people do this. <laughs> I'm learning. Like, so I'm not, some of you have a form of living room, I'm sure. I'm just trying to keep you in the church for a minute. I'm learning that children have a way of making you feel like you're out of control, right? And so the formal living room, you feel like you have it all together. It must be kind of cathartic. But I think the formal living room makes for a great metaphor of how we relate to God. We don't do it intentionally, but we admire and stand at a distance from God. We know he's present. He makes us feel better about ourselves. Things are kind of in control. Things are all right, but we don't live with God. 
I think one of the main reasons is that the concept of God is to, like, is to be admired is easy. We should honor God. He's indescribable. He's awesome. Praise Jesus. That was a good word. I feel encouraged. See you next Sunday. But to live with and engage him personally, to be devoted to all these things that are listed in Acts 2, devoted to one another, devoted to living out the mission of God, and in this case, devoted to walking with him. They sat at the apostles' feet, not to just gain some more information. It was that they might be transformed by a deeper knowledge of God and know what God was up to in the world. Abide with me. Abide with me. Stay. Remain. Dwell. That's what the word abide means. I think we often treat God like an expensive piece of furniture in a formal living room. You treat God like an antique chair, but he's a lot more like a, like a secondhand couch. He's a lot more like an Ikea chair. I don't mean in his holiness and grandeur and power and all that, for those of you who feel like I have a low view of God. <laughs> but, right? It's like the Indiana Jones movie. Right? You remember this scene in Indiana Jones where he's got to pick the right um, cup? The right grail? Search the Holy Grail? Anybody? Indiana Jones? I know we have a lot of millennials in our church probably have not seen Indiana Jones. There's this great scene where he's got to pick the right one or like everything, I can't remember, everyone's going to die. And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. There's all these like hundreds, maybe thousands of metal chalices and gold chalices and diamonds and then he sees the one and it's like a wooden cup. It's like a cup you'd actually drink out of. Oh, the cup of a carpenter. It's awesome, great scene. Just ruined the movie for you. Right, it's an Ikea chair, a secondhand chair you found on like the side of the road, right? It's because it's meant to be lived in. It's a place you actually live. Anybody have that 1980 lazy boy that your family has begged you to get rid of? Has like an imprint of your body on there. It smells, unfortunately, like you. Like as if you're still there, you can just like tell. Like God wants you to live with him and engage with him and remain in him and build disciplines that help you become aware of the God who's with us. This is how God wants us to live. This is how God wants us to live. And lastly, and I want to invite the, the communion folks up, our, sir, our ushers. Thirdly, a matter of like, this is a matter of grace. Knowing God. Like knowing that God initiates and God will respond. He loves and he is chosen and he redeems and he calls and he is with us. Galatians 4.9 says, now that you know God, or rather, you are known by God. I love that pivot because it kind of doesn't make sense. Right? Now that you know God, and he's about to say all these things, or rather, really what I'm saying is you're known by God. Right? Take it back to our little celebrity analogy. Who's made the first move? Who's invited you in and welcomed you in to participate? Like real love isn't that you love God, it's that he loved you. It's like to really know God is to know and trust that you are known by him. Like now that you know God, what it really means is like you're known by God. Like think about it for a few seconds, it just doesn't make quiet sense until you begin to realize Oh, what he's saying is his first step in knowing God is just receiving and, and trusting and having faith that the God of the universe wants to know you. Brothers and sisters, this is not a sermon that was meant for new folks in our church. 
I want to be really clear. This was not one of those teachings like, hey, invite some friends in. I hope you invited some friends. If you're new here, you're not a follower of Jesus, great to see you, truly. This wasn't for them. Like, this is for us. I share all of this, not because you don't have some general sense of knowing all this. It's because I am convinced that we as a community can go deeper. Amen? Devote ourselves more to the knowledge of God. Have a greater passion to abide with him, to walk with him, to trust even more. He knows us. He knows you and all of your junk and all of your gifts. He knows you and that should set us free in our pursuit to know him more. Come to me. Abide in me. The apostles, or the, the first follower of Jesus, they sat at the apostles' feet and they devoted themselves. I'm going to make time on the regular to know him, to practice the ways of Jesus, to trust that when I pray, he is faithful to respond, to recognize that I have probably heaped up barrier upon barrier and blockage upon blockage and distraction upon distraction and that God desires to be with me. God desires everyone we're told to know him. One writer says this. I close with this. You guys can come out. I'm graven on the palms of God's hands. I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of God depends on his sustained knowing, sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend and one who loves me and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment therefore when his care falters. Come on, no moment. What does that mean for Greg, who's headed into a really difficult situation this week of needing to care and love folks that are very close to him? What does that mean for Jocelyn, who next week is, is about to head off to India, right? To head off to India to dive into the world of sex trafficking, to, to, to figure out what it means to care and join God in that kingdom work. To know this to be true, this is how God's posture is for us. How could we not want to devote ourselves? This is eternal life. This is the life of the ages. This is where the stuff is. To know him, to walk with him, to be with him. Which is why, um, I'm not gonna get into all this, but this is why like, like th there's been this mystery around the bread and the cup. Like some people have, have it's been more than like a symbol for some folks. It, it's, like, it's like the reality of taking the physical bread and drinking of the, of the cup. It's not like the molecules suddenly change in the bread and the cup and it becomes Jesus' body and, and blood. But, but it's like they're saying something about like the closeness and intimacy with God. Like there's something mysterious that when we remember that Christ has died on the cross for our sins, we remember the, of, of the ultimate act of God moving toward us 
Jesus laying down his life. There's something in this moment when we remember that happens, when we open ourselves up. I take the bread and Christ's body broken for me and I dip it in the cup, his blood poured out for me. And I do this in remembrance of what God has done for me, what God has done for us and who God is, which is love. Jesus, we pray and I ask you that in the mind and heart and soul of the dedicated believer to the heart, mind, and soul of the skeptic and everything in between today, that you in these last few moments together would, would just galvanize like a hunger for you and that, Lord, we would experience and know you in some way deeply you minister to us. I don't have any clever words or action plans or algorithms for people to follow. Would you just do what you do and begin to speak and minister to your people? In Jesus' name, everyone said, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you'd like to come and take communion, come and you can gather in the center roll, center aisle. Come and take the bread and the cup. If you'd like to be prayed for, make sure you line up in this line. There's some people over here left to pray for you bless you. Maybe you need to make some fresh commitments. Maybe you need to come down and just kind of kneel in the corners and you, like as a sign of like, I need to rededicate my life to knowing him. You need to come forward. Just like you need to move out of that place. So come forward and come and take communion as we finish singing together.